Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything early times whiskey. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, our personal favorite aspect of the show, the tastings. With me, as always, is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleshik. Andy, how are you doing on this incredible, hopefully historic, Saturday afternoon? I'm doing good. You know, I'm sitting here being excited. Even though I'm traditionally a Colts fan, I got a root for the uh, Bengals today. I hope they get their first win. Playoff win in what? About 30, 35 years? It'll be Something 31 like years. Yep. So. so I was born in 1991, <laughs> and the Bengals won in 1990. So, so there has not been a single Bengals playoff victory in my lifetime. That's the longest streak in, NFL, in the currently in the so NFL. So your birth was the curse for the Bengals. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. I also know uh, Sarah's parents got uh, married in 1990, so they haven't gotten they haven't won since they got married, so I blame them as well. Uh, so there's a couple curses going on. So the city of Cincinnati, of course, is uh, is very excited and hoping for a win against the Raiders today. Yeah. Um, cause it would, you know, like I said, it's been 31 years and it's, it's the longest drought for a playoff win in history. They've have eight consecutive playoff uh, losses. So that's eight times in a row. They've if lost they in the first round of the, if they made it, uh, they've, they've lost. I've actually was at two of them. So <laughs> some people gave me crap. I had some friends giving me crap this week. They were like, why aren't you going to the game? You're a huge Bengals fan. There's been seasons where I've gone to literally every single home game, preseason po- and postseason Everything, included. Yeah. Uh, I told them the last two playoff games the Bengals had, I went to, and they lost both <laughs> kind of, of them. Cursed it. I, I lost. I went to the one at the Colts, which I'm sure you were happy at the time. Yeah. They lost to the Colts, and I was there. And then I went to the one when they were playing the Steelers. It was like 30 degrees and raining. The Vontez and, incident. The <laughs> and Pac-Man incidents. And uh, they lost that game. So I was like, I'm not going this year because I'm going I'm, – I'm I don't want to curse them. So people were like, thank you so much for not going to the game. So hopefully um, – you know, I'm not going. I'm going to a party, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to celebrate and see the Bengals pull it off, and uh, we'll be talking about it, uh, you know, again mm-hmm. in another episode, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully. But so we're really excited about that, and of course we're very excited about this episode. Andy has told me a lot about this this great whiskey, so I'm really excited. Um, so let's just jump right on in. Andy, tell the folks out there everything they need to know about early times whiskey. Of course. So this is a brand that dates back to 1863. Uh, at least the name is, we now know it dates back to them. It was uh, founded then by Jack Beam and AJ, uh, or A.G. Nall. Um, and it was kind of a tribute of sorts um, to how whiskey um, and everything was made in the early times of the United States. Uh, of course, it's you know distilled in Nelson County, Kentucky, near the Allen N. Railroad Spur. Or at least that's where their secondary location was. But it was just still in Nelson County, Kentucky. Okay. It's entire history. Uh, initially, at least. Pre-prohibition. Um, and it was something, uh, you know, that they intended to distill, bottle, and produce old-fashioned sour mash, copper, distil- copper pot distilled whiskey. Uh, you know, similar to the early times of Kentucky when it was distilled. Okay. Or when whiskey was distilled there, at least. Um and then, of course, they had three initial brands, Early Times, Jack Beam, and A.G. Nall. Uh, although the the latter two of those, you know, kind of quickly folded, I think. Um, and the Early Times name was the only one that survived. Uh, you know, their early success, of course, led them to opening up a new distillery 
um, not far from the original location. They're along the railroad. Um, but of course, unfortunately, you know, they had a lot of trouble once the early 20th century, early 19th century uh, hit. Because even though they saw, um, you know, a lot of success between the 1860s all the way up to about 1915 or 1917, um, you know, it was prohibition started very quickly after that. Um, but pre-prohibition in the 20th century, you know, they did see a lot of um, great success in establishing their name in the whiskey and bourbon scene, uh, receiving a quadruple A rating from Creedman, Keller, and Co. in 1910, um, meaning, at least for the time, I'm assuming this value was at the time, um, they had a value of a million dollars plus as a company, um, which I don't remember what that would be as of today, um, you know, making that in today's money. Um, uh, of course, like I said, though, you know, 1910 to 1920, all that success pretty much came crashing down and burning <laughs> because of prohibition. Um, but Damn also, politicians. Yeah. But on top of that, you know, even before prohibition happened in 1919, um, you know, Jack Beam and his son both died very close together in 1915. Um, so like one half year management team basically was just gone right there. Um so they ended up actually just being taken out effectively out of the game um, right then and there, kind of in a short span. But with that, even though, you know, they had those misfortunes between, of course, Prohibition and management dying um, very quickly, they actually were, in about 1923, were sold to uh, Brown Foreman, at least any of the... Um, you know, their ownership of the brand and any remaining whiskey stocks that they had as of 1923 were sold to them. Now, Brian Foreman, as for anybody that knows bourbon, at least, you know, is famous for Old Forester, Jack Daniels, few other very heavy hitters in the right. bourbon game. Yeah. Um, and so this was, you know, so even though they kind of were sold, they were still allowed to exist in some fashion because Brown Foreman kind of, at least during Prohibition, ended up selling the... Um, early times spirits stocks that were still there as a uh, medicinal spirit. Uh, so that was kind of one of their medicinal lines that they had hmm. at the time. So they had a medicinal spirit during prohibition. Yeah. I, I, it's a, that they was, had, I know that was hard to do. Yeah. Hard they, to get that approval. Yeah. They had the uh, early times was one of their medicinal spirits. And nice. as far as I could see, I think it was probably anything that was the remaining stocks. They got approval right. from, um, I don't remember who had to approve that at the time of prohibition, but whoever did, you know, had to, they got approval then to sell that name. Gotcha. Well, then I guess we're using it medicinally too, right? <laughs> yeah. But which, by the way, we forgot. Uh, cheers. Cheers, yeah. sir. Um, and so, of course, you know, they sold it then as a uh, medicinal spirit during prohibition. And then post-prohibition, you know, Brown Foreman owned it up until about one or two years ago when they sold him to Sazerac. Who owns one of the biggest brand, uh, bourbon brands in the world, Buffalo Trace? Yep. I think it was actually August of last year year that the deal closed to seal that in 2021. Hmm. Um, and it was something you know that post post prohibition, you know, being able to sell them as a medicinal medicinal spirit 
helped establish early times as you know a huge major early brand for uh, Brown Foreman and kind of get their feet back um, back underneath themselves. Um, and it was something that you know because of this they were ended up being able to buy out a distillery in uh, Chevrolet, Kentucky, which is kind of like 20, 30 minutes south of uh, downtown Louisville. Right. It's like um, in the greater Louisville area. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it almost borders the, um, I mean, it's like right next to Churchill Downs. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, which, you know, was something, they actually renamed that distillery the Early Times Distillery, um, which helped the brand even more bringing it back into uh, national attention. And um, at least as of 1953, it ended up being the uh, top-selling bourbon. I think at least in America, the hmm. top-selling bourbon. Um, you know, that wasn't without troubles, though, you know, during that time post-prohibition. Uh, you know, they had a distiller in the South, or a distributor, rather, in the South, who um, basically wanted to be a complete turd about it and use the early times brand as a loss leader for some of the other brands that he distributed and a uh, brown foreman basically said eh, we're cutting our losses we're not dealing with you anymore um in order to try and you know continue to protect the brand image um and of course you know unfortunately though then after post 1953 and post this spat with that distributor um it was kind of a short window within their uh, Brown Foreman's time of owning them. As, you know, they kind of, as Brown Foreman, of course, later ended up buying out uh, Jack Daniels. Um, and it was kind of, they lasted about two dec one or two decades as a huge name within Brown Foreman's uh, lineup before that acquisition of Jack Daniels. Uh, and, you know, it was then quickly, by about 1983, it was then, you know, kind of just shoved down the ladder um, of priority within Brown Foreman to, to still produce a quality product and everything. Um, and, you know, it was around that time that they actually, Brown Foreman rebranded it as a Kentucky-style whiskey instead of um, bourbon because of some production styles that they used having to change okay. within it. I don't remember what it was. They might have had to use it a little bit as light whiskey, maybe, but I don't remember exactly what those changes were. Um, but then, you know, from then until about the early 2010s-ish, um, they kind of were dormant a bit in terms of uh, notoriety, at least. Uh, but it was then that uh, Brown Foreman kind of brought him back into prominence with early times, the early times 354 name. Uh, the 354, of course, being the DSP, Distilled Spirits Producer, um, license number that the original early times distillery had. Um, and it was something that, you know, they had... For about a seven-year window, they had that name, or they had just early times on the bottles um, that they would be selling. And those bottle, those labels would typically, if I remember, be like a black and kind of honey yellow label with early times on it. Hmm. Uh, of which some of those, at least with just the early times name, 
would are still being sold to this day but um you know the product that they really have and this is the one that we're trying today um the main staple in their lineup that they have anymore is um early times bottled and bond which is a um more of like a golden bronze or golden copper label or not golden bronze or golden copper blue and copper label um and that was about 2017 that that ball and bond product was um introduced to the market you know and of course they've had their um you know they've had their revival they're still kind of selling strong um kind of on the lower ends um of the spectrum not as notorious as they once were you know they're doing a lot better than they were for three four decades at least um Unfortunately, though, you know, Brown Foreman ended up, you know, like I said, in about actually August of 2020, decided instead of 2021, ended up selling out and saying, you know what, we're going to cut our losses. We're selling to Sazerac, who owns Buffalo Trace. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sazerac's owned them since then and is still selling under that uh, same label of early times bottled and bond. Um in one liter bottles only that I can find, I can't find a 750 or anything else. Um, at least in our area of the U.S. And it's you know here in Cincinnati, it sells for about 27 bucks a liter. Honestly, one of the best values I can find. <laughs> um, and you know they're still using, as far as I know, the same mash bill, roughly as what. Uh, the early times label was originally using, which is a 79% corn, 11% rye, and 10% malted barley mash bill. Um, they're for the brand. And like I said, that's the only one that I can find on shelves is that blue and copper early times bottled bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 100 proof, I think four or five years old. Gotcha. Cool. So I think uh, without uh, further ado, I think we're ready for the best part of the episode. We're actually going to yeah. go ahead and give that bottled and bond uh, version of the of the early time whiskey a taste here. Of course. So pour yourself a glass, and uh, we'll be right back, folks. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're back, and we're going to do the tastings now. Of course, as always, we're going to start with the nose. Hmm. Kind of very caramely, little oaky, little oaty. Yep. Um, as well. That's kind of what I get on the nose. I'm getting all that. You know, very it's a very simple whiskey, but it, I I can't hate on it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm getting lots of the caramel, like you mentioned. The only thing that I'm picking up that you didn't mention is I'm getting a little like uh, fruity sweetness. It's almost like a little uh, bit. It's almost like an orangish type uh, yeah hint or note. Yeah, kind of an orange note there. Yeah, I kind of wanted to say that, but I was like, it's I like don't an know orangey if it really is that kind of. or what. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go try the palate out. Very rich. It's a very rich whiskey. Thick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm getting some rye spices. Yeah, I get a bit of the rye spices there mid-palate. Not, um, not super complex, I don't think, though. But I yeah. very rich and creamy if you're into that style yeah. of whiskey, which rich, I really am. Yeah, rich, creamy. Um, the back, the finish is kind of does not last as long as maybe... I agree. 
I would want, but it's still good. It's a little pepper, like a rye pepperiness, but it's. I agree, it is not a very long lasting finish. And yeah, honestly, I'm getting a lot of uh, a little bit of the caramel notes that you yeah. that you got in the nose as well and on the palate. Oh yeah, for sure. Solid whiskey. I like it a lot. I don't know that it's one I would necessarily go out of my way to to have, um, but I think if you were want if you had like a collection and you want to have something that's a little more. Um, like off the beaten path, I think this would yeah. be kind of a good option. To go it, it, with. It's a good introduction bourbon, I think. That's a good way to put it. I think it's a good one for that. If you can't find something, if you want to get away from Old Forester, Wild Turkey, something like that, and you can't find Buffalo Trace. Yeah, but still get like a high pro- quality, yeah, similar whiskey. Yep. All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, share the episodes on social media, um, and tell your friends and family, of course, about Distilled Discussions. We really do appreciate your guys' support. Have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry, America. We'll be here to drink with you next week.